0: solar energy output in Australia throughout winter is surprisingly high in some cities. You can learn more about better solar energy at bsolar. Visit b.solar to learn more. GLG Greenlife Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. Welcome to the first serve, your home of tennis. Here we go, four championship points.
2: Now Collins will put the serve into play to the Barty chip return up the middle. Collins went cross-court at the back and Ash digs it out. Collins looking to go up the line. Ash on the forehand cross-court. She's done it. She's done it. Ash Barty has broken the droughts of 44 years. She is the Australian Open champion. What a moment to save her. Some raw emotion from Ash that we don't always get to see. Wow! We've wanted this to happen. We put in the order at the start of the tournament and she's delivered. Please. Can you get the job done here to create history? 13 years after winning his first ever Australian Open. He's been the bridesmaid a few times. Can he be the winner again? Backhand by Medvedev at the middle. Big off for him by Nadal. He's on the stretch there Medvedev. Beautiful volley by Nadal. He's done it. He's done it. Medvedev couldn't get the backhand back and he's picked himself off the canvas. In one of the most spectacular tennis matches that I've ever witnessed. The comeback. He's won for the ages. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the first serve. That's a little bit self-indulgent isn't it? to play yourself off uh, the top. But uh, Sam is producing at the back tonight. So we've got to uh, play those uh, couple of match points. Look, uh, the last two weeks have been absolutely phenomenal. The most unusual uh, build-up that we've ever seen to an Australian Open. And I think once we started the actual tennis two weeks ago... I think everyone in unison, you would talk to anyone around you in, in the media circles, just those involved with the tournament said, well, if we can get an Ash Barty victory, and I think once Djokovic was officially declared out, hand on heart, everyone said, how good would it be to see Rafael Nadal create history and win a tournament for the second time that's been so hard for him to win? He's been involved in such tough finals, uh, the build-up, the uncertainty of whether you know Rafa was even going to get to Australia, as he declared, "I just want to rejoin the tour." Oh boy, oh boy, he rejoined the tour and had an undefeated January, quite spectacular. The final, which went into the early hours of this morning. But it's great to be back in our regular slot. We're an hour earlier. So management said to me over the weekend, we want a two-hour edition of the first serve. So we've obliged uh, tonight. It's great to have you with us on 11.16 into Adelaide uh, tonight. And, of course, we'll uh, be jumping into Sydney after 8 o'clock. For those listening on the app, uh, the web, we have a dedicated tennis show, not just for the month of January, but all year round, because right now the Aussies start to venture all over the world. The tournaments move on pretty quickly. We'll be with Indian Wells and Miami in a month. We'll be building up to Roland Garros, to Wimbledon, to the US Open, the full circuit goes. So we'd love your calls tonight. Your reflection on Australian Open 2022, 1300 736 736. You know the text as well, 0433 1116. The team has come in a little fly-blown tonight, but we'll suck it up for the moment. We'll have a good amount of sleep over the next few days. So Brett Phillips on this side of the desk, and I wanted to bring in, the two guys who have absolutely worked their backsides off, not only the last two weeks covering the Australian Open, but the entire month of January, because the first serve is more than just our radio show. It's the whole digital component, communicating with you, whether you're connected through social media, our website, which is our home. And we love you, the tennis fans out there, who are embracing our content because we are dedicated to covering this sport, the Aussies, the international component And every tier. We want to tell the story of the entire landscape of Australian tennis. It is not just the Grand Slams. It's not just the ATP and the WTA Tour. It's the Challengers. It's the ITS. It's the Juniors. The pathway is is big. The storylines are big. And that's what we want to cover right throughout the year. So Jed Zetzer, Alex Johnston, great to have you guys in. You've put a tonne of work in. The fact that you're actually awake is amazing because you were, I think at Melbourne Park, longer than I was. I did manage to sneak out after calling the final. But, Jeddah, welcome to you. Thank you, BP. Great to be in the studio with Alex here
1: as well. It's uh, it's amazing we're all awake. That's all I'll say at this point.
2: <laughs> Alex, your first sort of you know, full January with uh, the first serve team. Well done. You put in a ton of work. Uh, both you guys, uh, Roddy Reynolds, our other riders, who have uh, produced some incredible content from covering matches to some great features, and we've got some more... Uh, Really good features to come as we explore some hot topics in Australian tennis, which are bubbling around at the moment. But, uh, mate, job well done.
3: Yeah, thank you very much, BP. It's a pleasure to be here and what a crazy month of tennis that was. A lot of of long hours, um, but yeah, what a month.
2: Well, we, we rarely saw each other because we were separated because of the role I had over on Rod Laver and doing the radio. You guys were in the beautiful new... Uh, centrepiece uh, media centre, which I think all the media appreciated. So you, you've probably seen the tournament from a totally different lens because the Australian Open is one that's different to the other slams when I've travelled overseas where you, I'm in that media centre and mm. you're hearing a lot of things, you're going to the press conferences. There's so many things that I didn't even know were happening that you probably knew that were happening before I did. So just your experience of being just around that international uh, media pack because it was large, wasn't it? You're in the radio room, there was the the writers room as well and a lot of those international journalists who didn't come last year certainly came back in spades this year
1: yeah absolutely i mean giving the listeners sort of an insight into centerpiece building it's a brand new building uh in melbourne park and it's back it's it's smack bang in the middle of the precinct so it's an amazing location inside it's modern brand new and as you mentioned the radio room there's you know just people everywhere really covering this tournament it's it sort of feels like an olympics i guess there's that many people covering it but I absolutely loved it the whole month. You know, floating around the outside courts. You yep. were in Rod Laver. We sort of had someone everywhere. Yeah, um, and yep. it was just amazing. I mean, working with Alex as well to cover everything. It was, it was really amazing to be honest. Just to be able to speak to these players and and just cover the tournament because it is the biggest sporting event we have in the country, um, for the year. So yeah, an amazing month. So yeah. many great storylines,
2: Alex. Weren't there?
3: Yeah, plenty of great storylines. Um, from the whole month. From the whole month as well. Uh, And as Jed said, that media center, it's a bit of like an Olympics vibe. You sort of get to know everyone (laughs) after a few weeks. Yeah. All the people at the desk we sort of became friendly with and other journalists as well. And you're right, there was plenty of great stories throughout the whole summer. I mean, a lot of Aussies sort of did pretty well. We had the storyline of Matty Inglis, Alex Vukic. Mm-hmm. Really a great summer of tennis for some Aussies, I think.
2: Yeah, no doubt. I've been in those radio rooms at the other slams when everyone's reporting at the same time. So you've got maybe the Czech reporter, the French reporter, the uh, the English reporters all doing their reports at the same time. And uh, you think all those, all those uh, accents mixed in. But it's a it's a great room to actually eavesdrop. I do a lot of eavesdropping when you go to the overseas slams. You're telling us. You just take down little notes that you mightn't have known about a particular player that they're sharing with uh, their uh, fans uh, back in the country that they're broadcasting. I want to get to a couple of calls. We're going to pick apart uh, the great highlights of the last fortnight, but Tony's given us a call in queue. Tony, great to have you on the show.
4: G'day, BP um, and listeners. I'd just like to share my highlights. I just thought that uh, uh, Dylan Orcott was exceptional on the court and his competitors, but also off the court, I thought the way that he was able to encapsulate what tennis meant to him, and what the crowds meant to him was just absolutely wonderful, wonderful to to listen to. Uh, Another great highlight, obviously, was was Ash Barty, proving that her very, very unique brand of tennis was able to stand up to the immense rigours and pressures, because obviously Collins was a formidable opponent, but to come back from uh, 1-5 down and to pull off that second set was just absolutely extraordinary. Obviously, uh, Kyrgios and Kocanarkas, um drawing massive crowds to watch them and whether you love them or hate them or anything in between one thing which is undeniable it they actually brought an enormous amount of crowd attention to themselves yep and of course um uh, who could forget uh, um sorry punk who who could actually forget nadal and that just that epic final and i'm absolutely exhausted today but <laughs> it was worth every single
2: yeah.
4: minute to watch that riveting tennis I'd just like to say congratulations, obviously, to um, all those organisers or the organisers behind the Australian Open who put on an exceptional show for the uh, people who've been starved to sport and live sport over the last two years or so, and to Melbourne, what magnificent weather we were able to turn on, even if Ash Barty refers it to as Brisbane weather. Yes. What do you think about that, guys?
2: Tony, that's a it's a damn good summary. You, you've mentioned all the highlights. I mean, Jed Alex, we've been spoiled, haven't we? I mean, this arguably might be the greatest Australian Open we've seen. I mean, to have an Australian Open singles winner for Dylan Orcott. didn't get the absolute um, fairy tale ending, but just look at the resume and totality and the, and the greater legacy uh, that he'll leave uh, off court. Uh, Rafa, who we could almost adopt as an Aussie in a sense uh, because of his close affinity with the Australian Open. And then the double's been put in the spotlight. And I want to talk about that in a bit more uh, depth uh, tonight. Whether you're a, a Kyrgios fan, and you know I've suffered from Kyrgios fatigue uh, over the years, um, but you know it was, it was fantastic to be there. On that Thursday when I sat courtside, which is normally reserved for women's semi-final day, and you're looking out thinking, how good is this? Doubles in the middle of the day, and that was the big ticket item. There was nothing else going on. Poor Matty Ebden and Max Purcell were playing next door in Margaret mm. Court Arena with a handful of spectators. But the fact Doubles was actually put in the spotlight, for me, was was brilliant, because it's always been the afterthought. It's always on the outside court, or it's late at night after the singles. And... I don't know what the solution is here. It's it's a little difficult for broadcasters because singles is the main attraction, but how can we make doubles a bigger ticket item? And it probably needs a Cocanarchus curios or other sort of singles uh, coming together as a combination to play, but it's tough in the men's game. The physicality, these guys are not going to step up and play Jed doubles all the time. So I'm not I'm not sure what the solution is, but it's obviously given tennis something to think about. It certainly has. I think the fact
1: that Kyrgios and Kokonakis went on and did what they did, it certainly brought, you know, a lot more eyes to doubles. The thing about doubles is, you know, you look at Indian Wells and you get all these singles players playing and that gives it so much more attention. So I think it's almost, you know, we're giving these singles players so much attention that when they play doubles, Mm. I don't actually think the game of doubles is necessarily unattractive. I just don't think we promote the doubles players enough. That's probably, um, as a sport, that's probably the thing that, the, the reason that doubles is what it
2: is at the moment. Yeah. I mean, Alex, I don't know what you think, but you know, the, the marketability is, I mean, how do you market? It um, is difficult. You know, Marcel Granellas and Horatio yeah. Zabias. How, <laughs> how do you make them uh, a big ticket item on billboards that people are going to go want to watch play? Or, you know, even as good as Siniakova and Krachikovar are as the number two players, uh, number one and two players, great doubles combination. I mean, they're, they're not jumping off the page from a, a marketability point of view. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, you're definitely going to have to have that sort of Kyrgios Kokonakis
3: character or that sort of well-known singles player, I guess. Like even in the Melbourne Somerset, you had Nadal play single, um, mm. sorry, yep. doubles with Munar mm. and that just created a crazy crowd simply because Nadal was playing. So yep. whether there has to be some sort of incentive to to get out there and play doubles, it, it's a great spectacle.
2: Yeah, something to think about. We'll uh, we'll ponder and come up with our own ideas on the first serve uh, throughout the year. Tony's in East Bentley. Tony, welcome.
5: Uh, thanks, Brett. Uh, just quickly, two highlights. Jenny from Scotland, who commentated a lot of matches, what a breath of fresh air. Yep. And also my highlight was Clara Torson, yes. who nearly got Danielle in the fourth round, 19. I think the Heat just got a late in that third set, but what a star in waiting. That's one to watch, both on the men's and the women's as a youngster.
2: Yes. No, I'm a big fan. Uh, Won on the WTA Tour for the first time last year. Had won an Australian Open juniors. Tall girl. Doesn't show a lot of emotion there on court. I was actually right there when she came off. I think, I can't remember what stage of the match it was. And she walked to the, um, you sort of got to walk uh, past the the group of, uh, sort of the the wall of champions to get to the toilet. And she was absolutely spent. Um, So, yeah, it's certainly the heat affected her as a, Uh, what, a young 19, 20-year-old, but just put a little asterisk there. She's going to be uh, a star of the future, uh, no doubt, Um, Clara Towson. What was your other highlight, Tony, before I let you go? Uh, That was it all, Brett, and well done. Thanks a lot for the past two weeks and the team. Yes, you mentioned Jenny Drummond. I did want to mention the whole team. Uh, Jenny Drummond, absolutely brilliant to have as part of our coverage. Uh, Robbie Koenig, I know, Jed and Alex, you're a massive uh, fan. I was having a chat to uh, Robbie today. He's on the plane back to uh, South Africa to Spend a bit of time with his family. We love having Robbie part of our our coverage because uh, the library of uh, just what he can come out with to describe something that's so simple but make it sound so good. Robbie Koenig has got to be one of the best, not just
1: <laughs> tennis, best sports commentators in yep. the world. I mean, you don't you don't even have to like tennis to watch to to watch it when he's commentating. It mm. is unbelievable. We heard some of the as you mentioned, the library of of different types of quotes and knowledge that he has, it's, it's, it's unbelievable.
2: Yeah. We love Robbie, uh, Roger Rashid, Mark Wood for Sam Stowes, uh, Christopher Clary for the New York times, arguably the best tennis writer going around Stephanie miles, uh, who has her finger on the pulse, uh, Canadian tennis journalist, Lou Fleming, who uh, is an outstanding analyst. Uh, we had Luke several for a few games. I've got to say, I really enjoyed Luke, uh, very articulate and let's hope he goes on and has a big year. And, and Courtney Walsh, of course has been part of our show on the first serve. So, yeah, terrific team to uh, have with us across uh, the last uh, fortnight. Lou was awesome off the text. I'll get to a few of your texts. They're coming through thick and fast. Joe's in Roville. Joe, welcome. Hey, down you going there? Very good, thanks. What do you got for us? Uh, um, I, 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 just, I want
6: your opinion on this. I spoke to Dwayne a bit early on this afternoon, and um, i was just mention about the um, the scheduling. Because last night's game went until 1.32 o'clock, whatever it was in the end. Would they be better off having the uh, men's final maybe on the Saturday night? And having the women's one on the Sunday because obviously the women's one, it's only a 3 at to start off. It's just never going to be quite as long. Uh, I mean, I'm lucky because I've been on holidays this week, so I was over, actually able to stay up and watch it last night. But
2: yeah,
6: well, I'm normally up. I'm up. I'm normally up at five a.m. every day. Yeah, well, would have
2: hoped to. Be- I mean, Joe, they're never going to play the women's final after the men's final. That's just not going to happen. I mean, I heard Craig Tolley on with Dwayne. Uh today Dwayne did float the question, do we maybe start the men's final at a six, six thirty? But I mean they want that seven thirty prime time slot, um where people are, you know, gonna be glued to the T V, they've had dinner, maybe the kids have gone to bed, whatever the case. And I mean not every final boys is gonna go five and a half hours. So that's one that, you know, is out of the uh out of the block, a bit like two thousand and twelve when Djokovic played in the Dale, which went, what, just under six hours. So mm. yeah, I think that time slot is um He's always going to stay. Yeah, definitely. Um, 7.30 prime
3: time. It's when it's got to be played. And you're right. Not every match is going to go for five and a half hours like that one did. That was pretty special. You don't get that very often.
2: So I think the scheduling seems right now. Women's semis Thursday night. Mm. Men's semis split across Friday. They both get the same recovery time for the Sunday night final. Now that uh, Dylan's retired, what they do in that slot on the Thursday afternoon, because traditionally at the US Open, they might... Uh, play, I think a couple of the doubles semis, but really it's almost like a, a, a day off, if you like. Um, you know, preparing for the the women's uh, semi, single semis on that uh, Thursday night. So that's the only little slot they might, which they can get creative with, if you know, and put the doubles mainly is the real spotlight. I was going to say, I think the scheduling this
1: year was perfect. They absolutely nailed it, and obviously they were they were working on the run. They needed to work around the curious Kokonakis appeal from a from a fans' and spectators' point of view. I think they nailed it. I wanted to ask you, BP, though, where does that final rank in uh, in recent years? Nadal? Yeah, the Nadal yep. the Nadal win over Medvedev overnight. Where does that rank for you uh, if we're comparing it to the finals in the last decade or two decades or so? Well,
2: if you we go back to Djokovic-Nadal, I didn't call that one. I don't know how I would have called that one for nearly uh, six hours on uh, radio. I was doing another <laughs> role uh, that particular year, but we had to be on site uh, as part of the the big screens for AOTV, and I mean that was something else. Mm. And then you go back to Federer and the Dal, uh, almost pitch black at Wimbledon. I was there that year; that was unbelievable. Even even the final that these two guys played in New York a couple of years ago with a, a raucous New York crowd at Fever Pitch, twenty three thousand on Arthur Ashe is something else you have got to experience. Yeah. it. So there are a few off the top of my head. So I think it's right up there, Jed. Yeah, no, yeah. for me, th- for me, this was right up there. It Was
1: not necessarily the best, best quality tennis, but the twists and turns and yep. the storylines, that was an absolute epic. No
2: doubt. Uh, let's go to a few more of your calls. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Dan is in Wheelers Hill. Dan, great to have you on the first serve. Um, g'day, VP.
7: Great show, mate. Um, just a question. Oh, I got, you know, All the highlights have been said, you know, Rafa last night and, and Barty, but um, one of, a, a, a major one for me was Madison Keys. She's you know, she lost to Sloan, I think, in 2017. She's still in the mid-20s. I think what happened in the pre-tournament before the Australian Open gave her extreme confidence. And I think she's actually a future Grand Slam winner. Um, if she's just a bit more consistent on her ground st- strokes, I know she's a big hitter. Um, I want to get your thoughts on that, BP. And also, um, Bernie, um, Bernard Tomic, um, you know, he came out and he said he's changed. He wants to yep. mm. get back into the top 20, et cetera, et cetera. And mm. in my opinion, he's probably, you know, one of the, if not the most talented um, Australian tennis player going around. He's like, you know, he's a bit like Medvedev. He's a very crafty chess player and just waits to pounce. And I think, to be honest, I think, you know, he said he's going to do it. And I think he will get back into the top 20 again. Do I'm you? not sure he's
2: going to win. A, top twenty. I, I, I think he will. God.
7: Well, he's made it. Bef- he's made it before BP, and he hasn't really tried, has he? To be honest.
2: Well, that, that's, that's a done. very optimistic call. I, I respect your call, but that, that's very optimistic. He's a long, long, long way back at the moment. Look, the, the only time I had a chance to get to the new Kia Arena, as you know, <laughs> Jed, was during Qualys, because <laughs> I had to go out. We're all uh, well, deep down, we're all boys. We all like to have a look. Yeah. Right. So you go out and to see if he was going to walk the talk. And we sat there for twenty six minutes. And we didn't know that he uh, had COVID at the time. So maybe, you know, we give him the slight benefit of the doubt. But I saw nothing there uh, that suggested to me that he can make a, a great comeback in tennis. Let's just, let's just park it. We'll talk about it if he starts to, um, you know, starts to actually have some consistency and dedicates himself to the sport. But I can't see it, to be honest. I mean, Alex and I watched him train, I think, three days in
1: a row. He looked well yep. off the pace. But to be honest, if he, I mean, he says he's going to apply himself. Alex, what do you think?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, well, judging by his social media, he's sort of putting in putting in the work, I suppose. And he came out the other day and said he's going to win Wimbledon before he retires. So he'd <laughs> yeah. want to get a move on. You, you
2: know, this is, I've forgotten that last caller. Um, it's, yeah, there's a lot of talking there. But let's see if he can walk it. And just on Madison Keys, I mean, mm. she's a beautiful ball striker. So she's back up to, what, 28 in the rankings. That's where she should be, somewhere in that top 30. But she's like a lot of these players who are a little one dimensional if you're comparing them to uh, Ash Barty. So uh, the key to Keys, if I can put it that way, is that somehow she's got to be able to minimise these errors. I mean, that US Open final was a nightmare against Sloane Stevens. Mm. And, I mean, she looked like she'd had a little bit more patience. In her game, because she is a a C ball hit ball type of player, but when you're playing Ash Barty, I mean, she just un, unpicks players like that.
1: I think the thing with Keys is she's just got to harness that power a little bit. She can crush the ball, we all know that. Yep.
2: Just got to harness it and see where she what she can do after that. All right, we need to slip in a break. More of your calls on the other side. We're loving your interaction tonight. One 736 three six seven three six. We'll get to the text. Oh four double three ninety eight. 1116. We're here thanks to Tennis Direct. They are great partners of our show. Tennisdirect.com.au. You can do all your shopping. They'll deliver to you wherever you are, right across Australia. That 10% discount if you use the promo code SEN. So head to Tennis Direct right throughout the year. Our great partners here on the first serve. Back with plenty more.
0: The V Solar Advisor. Visit Solar to learn more. GLG Greenlight Group. Leaders in property services and open space management. At glgcorp.com. Of first serve, your home of tennis.
3: Yeah, there's still work to be done, uh, without a doubt, and I feel um, very humbled to be in in such a select group. To be honest, I don't really feel like I belong uh, with with those champions of our sport. I'm, I'm still very much learning and um, trying to to refine my craft and, and try and learn every single day and get better and better. But it's it's amazing to be able to have this experience and this opportunity on three different surfaces and and be really consistent across the board and and ultimately that was that was one of the biggest challenges um that jim jim set out for me when i was young was to be a complete player and be really consistent across all surfaces and be able to play on all surfaces too so to have um a grand slam title on on each surface is is pretty amazing and um yeah i I never probably thought that it would ever happen to me Uh, so so very very lucky and very humbled and privileged to be able to be a part of it
2: So the reflections of uh, Ash Barty, of course, uh, post uh, winning her first uh, Australian Open, and she has been able to conquer clay, grass, and the hard courts of Melbourne Park. And the US Open is the one that awaits. But boys, I think what's interesting is that uh, Craig Tizer, and I only sort of picked up on this being in the cocoon uh, yesterday. uh, Tizer, of course, uh, spoke to... Uh, various uh, media outlets, and he's firm belief that the world number one will not win the only Grand Slam missing from her resume unless the US Open change its balls. So um, just to e- expand on that, uh, but getting her hands on the trophy at Flushing Meadows to complete a career Grand Slam of all four majors is unlikely to happen with the balls currently used in the women's singles in New York. So Craig's comments were, the US Open really needs to change the ball for the girls. The fact they still use a different ball for guys and girls, it's a terrible ball for someone like Ash. Uh, while Wilson balls are used for both, a lighter, less fluffy version, uh, regular duty compared to extra duty, is deployed for the women's competition with the perception that they are faster. It is the only major to use different balls for men and women. So this is an interesting little talking point. Uh, I don't know if it's a little bit of, you know, sort of grandstanding a little bit to, um, you know, look after the the world number one when I mean, you feel like Ash could sort of conquer any conditions with whatever balls are thrown her way. And each Grand Slam has uh, different ball partners, as we know. Dunlop here for the Australian Open. I think Wilson now for the French, She used to have Babolat. at. It's, it's interesting comments. I haven't had a chance to really unpack that and look at that in a bit of uh, depth uh, because, you know, you feel like Ash Barty, now at the peak of her powers. Jed and Alex, mm. um, you know, she'll be targeting the US Open. That's the one. And you know, she's winning on a hard court at Melbourne. Yes, the hard courts of Melbourne Park are a little different to uh, Flushing Meadows, but you feel like her skill set's going to win anywhere. Well, I think, you
1: know, put in the hard yards and train with, with the balls that you need to play with, and Ash will do that, no doubt, and she's definitely capable of winning the US Open, but I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Why are
2: the men and women using different balls? It doesn't, that, that, to me, is that's pretty absurd, I think. Yeah, we need to explore that a little bit further. We might uh, uh, put in a couple of calls uh, this week on that one. Uh, Justin's in Coburg. Justin, welcome to the show.
7: G'day, man. First time on the show
8: um, Welcome. Good show, by the way, too.
7: Um, just quickly, I don't know if you've heard, but um, I heard Nick Kyrgios um, say that his match was more important than Ash Barty's win, in the women's singles. Now, I don't know if you've heard of that, but I think he's completely wrong. I think that Ash Barty's was more important to Nick Kyrgios's and Kokonaskis'
8: game.
2: Well, well yeah. <laughs> well, I think... I think um... I mean, Nick's denied all that and he's had his pot shots on social media to the media who have uh, criticised him and to Max Purcell. uh, He's had a fair crack today. So we'll we'll unpack that a little bit. Um, I think Nick was certainly saying uh, not to diminish or not to, um, you know, certainly put down what Ash Barty has achieved and the environment around uh, her her match. But I think he was certainly mentioning the fact that when he and Kokanakis went out and played that generated the best atmosphere of the tournament. Now, it's probably hard to argue against that. Look, it's an atmosphere that you certainly don't associate with uh, other tennis matches. Uh, with uh, you know, As Craig Tiley said today, he felt it was a much younger crowd that came in for this year's Australian Open. Older people maybe still a little bit wary. Alex, with COVID, not going to big events. And that brought an element in that would not normally come to the tennis. And we'll talk about the tennis behaviour, which was you know a big topic of uh, discussion across uh, the last uh, fortnight, I don't think he was trying to take anything away from uh, Ash Barty in those uh, comments, but uh, Nick will always polarise people. Yeah, exactly right. Um, I, I was in that press conference.
3: I don't think he was trying to take anything away from Ash. He was fairly complimentary of her. He was just sort of saying, you know, Tanasi and I are bringing in that, well, that different crowd there, entertaining the people. Um, you're right, every game was a much younger crowd for both of them. It was sort of not the regular tennis fan, I think, as a few opponents put it. Um, it was it was a bit of a zoo out there at some stages on Key Arena, but it was it was different. It was enjoyable sometimes.
2: Um, but, yeah, I, th- I think you've just got to embrace that for what it was. So the only issue I have is when a player steps up to serve, and that that is the etiquette. And, I mean, particularly you know, you've, got, you've got Nash Barty in a final and someone yelling at an Australian. And you know, Nadal, loved by everyone, creating history, people yelling at as he's bouncing away, about to go into the service motion. And maybe maybe it's going to take the players, in a sense, to also help educate uh, the crowd because the poor chair umpire sitting there, he's copying it from the players. Some chair umpires can be a little bit more um, persuasive in the way they tell the crowd and others uh, don't want to maybe uh, sort of go down that path. Uh, But for me, very noticeable this year that the crowd behaviour was much looser than what it normally has been. The crowd behavior this year was completely different. And I think that whether it's, you know, whether
1: we agree with it, whether we disagree with it, whether it's right or wrong, it doesn't change the fact that it's just different to anywhere else in the world. And I reckon we've got to be pretty careful as an Australian public attending the tennis. We don't want these players to not want to come back here. You know, we want them to come back here, feel comfortable playing in front of an Australian crowd because it is... I mean, the Australian crowd is one of the best crowds in the world, but we want these players to come here and feel comfortable and, and not get annoyed. And, and you know, Medvedev, it, it clearly ruined his Australian Open experience.
2: Yeah, I suppose it comes down to what's acceptable. Because if you, if you go to New York and you sit on Arthur Ashe or you sit on Louis Armstrong, the two main courts, there is a constant hum just the whole time. But the players have actually have adjusted to that. They know that's part of the... Environment and even if you've got people sort of muttering away, and the way Arthur Ash is set up, they've got the corporates on level two who have got their back to the tennis, who are going there, Alex, for a, a couple of uh, <laughs> lemonades and a couple of hors d'oeuvres, and you know, just seeing uh, seeing the afternoon through, and wouldn't actually know who's uh, won or lost. Yeah, there's people who follow other sports that would say tennis players are a little bit too too precious, but that's part of tennis. It's part of golf. I mean, there's what one golf tournament in the US that has sort of a party hole, if you like, where <laughs> you can carry on however you like. But generally speaking, and I reckon etiquette is important uh, to have at you know, a tennis event. But where do we? Where, what, what what is crossing the line? That's up for debate, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Um- some of the stuff that
3: was getting called out, especially between first and second serve, you know, I was just sitting in the stands, just sort of cringing. And it's even just like a come on raffer as Daniel's about to serve or yep. vice versa. Yep. But the thing about last night was, and Medvedev actually complained about it when, and there would have been one or two people that did this, that would yell out, come on Daniel when uh, Nadal was in service motion. And then the whole crowd would give you know, Shh, mm. and mm. then it wouldn't happen for Daniel. And you're right. It sort of completely ruined his Australian open experience in his press conference afterwards. It, he sort of spoke about how he lost the enjoyment a bit of playing out there.
2: Yep. So in the players, I mean, it's a grand slam, so the players are always going to come. That's that's the carrot that we dangle here uh, because of the prestige of a slam, the prize money, and uh, and the points that you get. But yeah, the players, I think, had to endure some things that they shouldn't have had to uh, across uh, the last uh, fortnight. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. Plenty on the text. Uh, I'll park those and get to a few of those in just a moment. But Chris is with us in Endeavour Hills. Uh, evening, Chris.
4: Evening,
8: voice. Uh, um, it's got a double F. Um What does it actually take to get DQ? Um,
4: and is Medvedev up there with some of the, like, the brattier ones that we've, we've seen, just with his behaviour both sort of around the court when it doesn't go
1: his way, but then in the press conferences as well?
2: Oh, look, I'm a Medvedev uh, fan. I think he's uh, I think he's fantastic for the sport. The Russians have always been a little bit uh, quirky, a little bit different uh, in their persona. The persona can sort of change uh, when they're uh, on court or going into uh, a media conference. Uh, the good part about uh, Daniil is that he can still have these sort of blow-ups, if you want to call them blow-ups, or moments where he just lets out some frustration. But where he's come in the last two years is he can reset. He can push the reset button pretty quickly and just get on with the job, and he wins... He wins uh, you know, tough matches uh where you've got to hit four or five extra shots just to get past uh this guy. Um I think uh and guys, you actually sat in on, you know, his media conferences and saw it a lot more up close and personal than I did, but I think he's brilliant for the sport. He engages, he takes you inside uh his world. I don't, I don't know whether he's gonna be uh, front and center of the, the Netflix uh doco, but he, he would give some uh he gives some great content and he's evolving as a human being as well. I mean, he's a guy in his mid-twenties who is um you know still learning about being in the spotlight. I personally love him. I think,
1: you know, he is so authentic. What you see is what you get with him. He doesn't put on this fake persona. You know, that is Daniil Medvedev. That's who he is behind the scenes. That's who he is on the court. He's authentic. And I mean, we shouldn't complain about it. Yes, some people may not like it, but I think it is overall just better for the sport that these players are their true selves and just authentic. It's, It's amazing to watch him out there. He's a character. He loves He loves sort of trolling the crowd, you know. That's who he is as a character, and and I personally, I, I love him. Well, he backs it up with a, a great brand of tennis, yeah. and, and
2: all you want to see, if you're paying money to come along, is uh, athletes give their absolute all, and he leaves uh, nothing out there. We do need to squeeze in a break. Uh, we'll come back. More of the first serve. Your calls, 1300 736 736. Our reflections on the Australian Open. Uh, plenty more to pick apart when we come back.
0: Better solar, better batteries, better energy. With V Solar, you'll never have to pay another expensive electricity bill. Talk with a V Solar advisor. Visit V. Solar to learn more. GLG Greenlight Group, leaders in property services and open space management. At GLGCorp.com. The First Serve, your home of tennis.
2: Welcome back. It's a, a special two hour edition of The First Serve. Post uh, the Australian Open, we're still. Uh, on cloud nine, still a bit of adrenaline uh, pumping through the veins and we'll, uh, we'll all crash uh, tomorrow. But loving your contribution tonight. Your call, certainly welcome. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. are a stack of texts. So I will get to them. I'll just park them here. Uh, get fit, Nick. Get a coach. That's sort of a standard SMS we get through. I don't think Nick's going to be getting a coach anytime soon. But let, let's just wait and see. Um, you know, a few people said to me today, maybe now the penny's going to drop. He's had uh, some grand slam success. But, I mean, that that whole... Uh, Last two weeks can evaporate pretty quickly. I mean, certainly for Thanasi Kokonakis, the focus needs to be on singles, getting that ranking now inside the top 50. I think we're all on the same page that if he can stay fit, that he's probably our best prospect as a a singles player with the power game that he he can generate. It's just great to see him up and running and uh, he needs to really focus on that. I think there was the other one here, boys. Will the special case get paid appearance monies from other Grand Slams now they bring in the crowds? Well, as we said at the start, I think it gives all the majors something to think about here. If they played all the big events, they could qualify for the ATP finals. I was just having a look at the doubles rankings today. So Kokonakis up 388 spots to 46 in the world and Kyrgios up 219 spots to 40 in the world. So they can now enter all the you know the Masters events, the Grand Slams, but whether they're all, uh, whether they're going to be on the same page. I mean, Nick hasn't played the French Open, as we know, I think since 2017, is he going to want to go back and play Roland Garros? So a bit to play out, but if it gives doubles a bigger spotlight, do the tournaments maybe look at that? I mean, it's it's all food for thought. It's it's something to ponder. It's really interesting. I mean,
1: Alex, I'm gonna ask you your thoughts in a second, but I don't I don't actually think that Kyrgios wants to it he didn't he didn't sound that convinced that he wants to play much doubles this year. I don't know if you well, we both sat in on his presser. Yeah. He said, No, I'm not playing French Open, I'm not playing Wimbledon doubles, maybe mm. we'll do US Open, maybe end of year finals if we get there. Mm. But this didn't seem like it changed his mind at all. I mean he just sort of spoke for Kokonakis as well.
3: Yeah, for sure. Uh, he's definitely not doing anything in the middle of the year. He said, you know, if you're going to let me play the finals, absolutely I'll do it. But there doesn't seem to be too much drive there. I mean, they've just won a grand slam off literally no preparation yep. whatsoever. So it yeah. doesn't look like they're willing to put the hard yards in per se.
2: And what what does the singles path look like? I think he's uh, what are going to play Dallas. That's all we know at this stage. And a few of those uh, American sort of 250s, 500s will, will give him a wild card because he does draw a crowd and they rely more on sort of hospitality and ticket sales rather than uh, the the TV uh, dollars that come in for those smaller events. So they love him. Even if he lasts, you know, a round or two, he he brings some crowds and all the other dollars associated through the gates. Um, I mean, look, for us, I mean, trying to predict Nick's schedule for the rest of the year, let's just uh, soak up. He's won a Grand Slam and let's just see how it rolls. But trying to predict what he's going to do this year is uh, uh, near impossible. I don't think he even knows, so... Good luck for us. No, nah, nah, the thing with him is he knows he's in a position where he can get into whatever
1: tournament he wants to. I mean, he's a he's a draw card. He'll get wild cards, but I don't expect his
2: ranking to fly that much. Uh, John's in Mill Park. Uh, John, welcome to the first serve.
4: Good evening, gentlemen, and uh, great show. Um, Thank you, John. I actually want to take I want to take a different take to the crowd. Sorry, I don't mean to be um, critical, but they were appalling,
5: in my opinion.
4: And I totally agree, with the gentleman that's with you, that... Then be very careful that you know we don't put the players, and it's not just negative. it was there were other players that I watched games where they were really heckled and booed, and I don't think it's right, and I mean you can't stop it. I mean you can control it while the points are on, but you've got to be careful that we don't scare the players away because that will happen because Australia's too far away, and uh, it can cause a problem around Christmas time You know they're with their families. They have to come here. They have to travel. It's the first slam. Um, and even though it's a grand slam, they might turn around and say, well, i not worried about this. Let's get off to French Open, Wimbledon in the US. Yeah.
2: John, I mean, crowds are crowds. And players deal with all sorts of crowds around the world. I mean, you go to New York, they can be a pretty rude, uh, obnoxious crowd on Arthur Ashe. You go to the French Open, it's uh, a totally different atmosphere as well. Wimbledon, everyone's respectful. It's a totally different environment. Again, but it's quite simple. If you come to the tennis, I said it out loud on radio last night because I was uh, getting pretty frustrated. If you come to the tennis, have some respect for the opposition and do not yell out when a bloke is stepping up or a, a female player is stepping up to serve. It's simple. Those two things. Barrack your lungs out in between. Go nuts. Create a, whip up a frenzy. Create a great atmosphere. Just nail those two things if you're coming to the tennis, which is just uh, simple courtesy uh, to the players. But I don't think it's going to put players off from coming to Australia. It's a Grand Slam, and that that's what we have. And um, if it was just a 250, some might say we'll uh, bypass it. But I think the players are always uh, going to come here. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. if you want to join us. I'll just get through a couple more uh, texts that have come through for Mick. Guys, uh, maybe Kerrios should focus more on doubles instead of singles. He enjoys doubles. He's a showman. Realistically, he won't win a singles Grand Slam, and he's generally frustrated and not committed. Well, Mick... Yeah, It's black and white to us who follow the sport that Nick certainly gets the better out of himself when he's in a partnership with somebody or he's in a team that's part of the the Davis Cup or the ATP Cup or the Labor Cup. So he's got some decisions to make. I mean, where does his singles go from here? He's going to get some wild cards, but if he doesn't knuckle down, he's going to be sitting outside the top 100 uh, certainly in the first uh, half of the year and... I don't know. I don't know what you know, is going through the mind of Nick Kyrgios, and you know, I don't really want to spend that much time uh, invested in it. I mean, good, fantastic. They won the doubles. I think putting doubles in the spotlight was great. Uh, we've said that a few times, but let's just see how it unfolds uh, for Nick uh, throughout the year. But I mean, he's he can't give away singles at this stage of his career with his age. I mean, he could if he actually got fed income, as we know, whether he's got a coach or not, he could get. He's ranking back on track uh, pretty quickly at those lower-tier events uh, on the tour, but we'll have to uh, wait and see. Uh, BP, did you see Mividu's post-match presser? Yes, I generally feel sorry for the bloke after the drunken louts uh, tried in vain to spoil his match against Kyrgios. He was continually up against absolute morons making noise during his service motion against Kressy. Uh, Felix, Pass, and the Dale. By the end of the fourth set in the final, he was pleading with the Cherumpire to give him a fair chance. His comments about losing his love for competing over the course of the tournament are incredibly sad. An indictment of the despicable crowds that showed him absolutely no respect. Well, we've certainly spoken about it. Um, yeah, it's there for everyone to see. The crowd needs to be far better, but I don't think it'll stop Medvedev from coming to uh, the Australian Open. We do need a break. We'll come back. More tennis on the other side.
0: Better solar, better batteries. Better energy. With B Solar, you'll never have to pay another expensive electricity bill. Talk with a B Solar advisor. Visit solar to learn more. GLG Greenlight Group, leaders in property services and open space management. At GLGCorp.com. The first serve, your home of tennis. Great to have you with us Monday night post the
2: Australian Open. Brett Phillips with you. We've come on an hour earlier, 7 o'clock, a special two-hour edition, and our Sydney listeners will join us after 8. You can join us any time, 1300 736 If you haven't stumbled across the first serve before, we are the only dedicated tennis show on Australian radio, operating all year round, all the way through to the end of November when the tennis season closes. One of the text here, boys. So Brett, Alex, Jed and the rest of the crew, the first serve, I thank you for your extensive coverage of the Open. You guys are so underappreciated. No, we're not that underappreciated, especially those working behind the scenes. But yeah, as I said off the top, the guys have done a, a great job with our website, our, our social media, where we have a, a terrific following, a very engaged following. Keep up the great work. Props go out to um, to Val. Yes, Val Febo, the random stats guy who managed to get on the Channel 9 set. How about that? I haven't spoken to Val the last uh, couple of weeks, but I did see... He jumped in there to be the uh, what was it the, the seat filler.
1: He won't be able to get a hold of him either. He's a hard man to track down now. <laughs>
2: Don't you worry about that. No, he's uh, he's a star. He loves his tennis as much as uh, we do, and he puts in uh, some enormous uh, hours. I was part of a WhatsApp group with uh, Val the last uh, fortnight, and uh, my phone it was buzzing in my pocket <laughs> the whole time, but I had no time to actually sit there and contribute. Uh, to uh, to the group uh, G'day Brett Nick obviously doesn't want to be a singles champion And that's okay, it's his life Let's just let him be a double sideshow for two weeks Once a year Well I think everyone knows I've been talking about Nick for a long time And I've taken out the emotion uh, now So let's just let him uh, go on his own journey uh, Brett, where are the next wave of tennis stars Outside of Australia, Europe and North America Not hearing many young stars coming from Africa, Asia uh, the Pacific. Anyone to look out for? Does tennis need to invest more around non-traditional tennis countries? Well, James, I mean the ITF. I think there's over 210 uh, tennis federations uh, right around the world. So the game is uh, the game is certainly growing. There's no doubt, and we're seeing we're seeing players pop up from countries that you wouldn't normally associate with tennis players. But it, it takes some time. Uh, we spoke to a young girl in Burundi last year, Asada Nahamana, who. Um, you know, might be uh, might be a start down the track. Uh, we're we're actually liaising with a young boy, uh, Emmy Magisha from uh, Rwanda, who's about to go to uh, an academy in Egypt. Uh, that we're uh, certainly following on the first serve. So there's some young kids emerging, but it's going to certainly take some time from those non-traditional tennis markets. So we're going to come back after eight o'clock. Got a couple of special guests. We're going to pick apart all the results, and uh, we look forward to talking to you. One 1-300-736-736.
0: Solar panels work in winter. Solar energy output in Australia throughout winter is surprisingly high in some cities. You can learn more about better solar energy at B Solar. Visit b.solar to learn more. GLG Greenlife Group, leaders in property services and open space management, at glgcorp.com. Welcome to the first serve. Your home of tennis.
3: Sport is unpredictable, no? Uh, and if you fight till the end, uh, normal thing is to lose the match in straight sets uh, after that situation. But on the other hand, I had a big chance in the in the second turn, no? so um, I don't know. Uh, I was repeating uh, to myself during the whole match. Uh, I lost a lot of times here, uh, having chances, uh, sometimes I was a little bit unlucky, so I just wanted to keep believing till the end. No, I just wanted to to give me a chance. Uh, And that's what I did.
2: Incredible belief, incredible determination. It's been part of his DNA since he uh, was stepping out into the pros as a a young man destined to have a a great career, Rafael Nadal, off the canvas uh, last night. To come from two sets to love down, Rafael Nadal, of course, a champion at Melbourne Park for the second time and now the leader statistically of all time with 21 uh, majors. Welcome in. Uh, All our 1170 listeners in Sydney to the first serve who are uh, a big part of us uh, over the last uh, 12 months uh, as we go into uh, Sydney. And for those that have been with us uh, for the first hour, yes, we're a two-hour edition on this uh, Monday night. Brett Phillips, I've got my first serve team here. Jed Zets, uh, Alex Johnson are a big part of... What we do in total with our website, thefirstserve.com.au, right across our social media channels, however you consume social media. We're following tennis uh, basically day in, day out because it is the sport that doesn't stop. But guys, let's go through just all the draws and... Pick apart some of the highlights. So we start with the men. The Darwin's is uh, twenty-first. Interestingly, the rankings today gee, really uh, tightens the gap now uh, for that number one ranking. Just eight hundred and ninety points separating Djokovic and uh, Medvedev. Uh, Roger drops down to thirty in the world. Uh, Dominic Thiem dropping down to thirty-seven, but he steps out for the first time in quite a while. Uh, Jed, As he plays uh, the clay court event in Cordoba uh, this week, as the second seed in behind Schwartzman. Uh, Stan Wawrinka out to 159 of the world. Whether we see Stan uh, back and then uh, the other one we might see come back this year is possibly one Martin Del Potro. We'll have to wait and see when that may occur. But um, the Djokovic-Medvedev jewel, depending what Novak is going to do, and apparently he's on the entry list for uh, Dubai, I think in about a couple of weeks time, which is interesting in itself because we still don't know what's going on with the whole vaccination status and, And how that um, is being put into play, I suppose, in different parts of the world where some may let him in, some might not. So anyway, that's all ahead of us.
1: I reckon it's going to be a real arm wrestle for the next six months on who really uh, takes this number one ranking. Medvedev is not defending anywhere near as many points as Djokovic is until post-Wimbledon. So the first half of the year, it's going to be a serious arm wrestle. I think we might see Medvedev actually reach world number one, then he's defending the US. Maybe we'll see Djokovic regain it. Maybe Nadal. You never know. I mean, is there another twist left in the Spaniard's tail at the back end of his career? Could he get back to number one? What do you, what do you think? Well, DP?
2: I'll pose this to, uh, to you, Alex, for a thought here because it seems like the emotion of winning that last night against the odds, considering the prep, the lead-in, Australia's been tough. It seems to have just given him an extra leg here that, Hey, uh, you know, I, I maybe you know, going back two or three weeks ago, thought this might be my last Australian Open. But, gee, I feel so good after that that I'm going to be back in 12 months' time. I'm going to be back in two years. I mean, go back five or six years ago when he was totally written off altogether. The knees were cooked. Many people thought he'd retire in his sort of early 30s. And here we are, 35, better turn 36. He seems like he's inspired to achieve more. Now that he's got to 21, knowing he could maybe win the French maybe one or two more times, there's plenty of driving on the Nadal.
3: Yeah, definitely. And you could see the emotion on his face following that win as well. You could tell that one really meant a lot to him given what happened to him at the back end of last year. As yep. he said, he completely wasn't sure whether he'd ever be able to play again. You know, he said he couldn't fix the issue, had COVID towards the end of last year. So his preparation was really sort of mucked up and came out here, obviously won the Melbourne Somerset, then just went straight through, had a few tough matches in the Oz Open. And yeah, it's after the match there, he sort of said, yeah, I'll definitely come back next year and give it another crack. Mm. And of current form, you'd have to—he's always the favourite for the French. You'd have to think,
2: no doubt. And now he's going to scale things back. I mean, whether he would play both Indian Wells, Miami, I think maybe he plays one of those. And really, now it's all about Jed—the clay court season, making sure he's cherry ripe to start in, you know, Monte Carlo, Barcelona, Madrid, Rome, into Roland Garros, which will be no doubt the main focus.
1: Absolutely, I think now he's sort of got this second wind. He's thinking, well, hang on a second—if if Novak doesn't play Roland Garros, which it's looking like it's going to be that way you know, maybe I can actually get another one. And, you know, just going back on the clay, uh, someone mentioned in his press conference last night, which we sat in on, they said, you know, is the tension turns now to the clay? And he said, no, you know, he sort of noted that he hopes to play some hard court tournaments before then. In a normal year, he'd probably play Acapulco, maybe even one in the Middle East a couple of weeks before. Uh, but no, I think I think we'll definitely see him play one of those masters. Yep. That might be it until the, hard, until the clay uh, court season, but mm. you never know. I mean... He's looking good,
2: Rafa. He's looking very good. Yeah, well, right now, I mean, that, that body has been through so much for, uh, for two decades. Uh, the scheduling becomes uh, extremely uh, significant. Uh, Jed, trying to do uh, choke there. He's had a glass of water and he's totally lost uh, the plot. Two weeks catching up with the great men. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. So the question I'd like to pose, certainly to our listeners uh, tonight as well, and Alex, work with me here, Medvedev is the one that's broken out and won one. Yep, for sure. Pass, Zverev are on that sort of next line. Then you've got the next group, Beratini, Rublev, uh, Kasparud, who was in a lot of ways a, a surprise addition into the top 10 at the back end of last year. I think we're loving the two young Canadians who have now been into uh, semi-finals at more than just one major in Felix Auger, aliassime and Denis Shapovalov. There's a lot to like there. Her catch had a disappointing tournament, went out early, but there's some upside, I would think, to, to Hubie. Taylor Fritz is going in the right direction, and then the young Spanish whiz in Carlos Alcaraz, who we don't expect to go north. So, where, where does the next outside of still, you know, Djokovic and the Dal? And I don't think we can, you know, certainly put Roger in the conversation. We just want to see him come back and actually finish his career on court. But certainly, I think we're realistic enough now about him being a Grand Slam champion again. But where does where does the next Grand Slam champion come from? Is it that layer? who are just outside the top 10, who are showing us a lot. And then we've got Dominic Team coming back. And can he regain his impetus again after a tough couple of years?
3: Yeah, Dominic Team will be a really interesting one. As you mentioned, he's had a really tough couple of years, but he's shown he can do it before. As for the other lot, Pass I feel, has been there the last couple of years up in the sort of latter stages. Uh, about to head into the clay court swing, which we know he enjoys. So I think he's a real good ch- chance there. Uh, as for the others, Zverev, he's, he's a bit up and down Zverev. He can he can give you the highs and he can give you the lows, which we sort of experienced in that match against Denis Shapovalov, who mm. we're we both big fans of, obviously. Yep. And yep. I think Denis can go a fair way. But that was a real disappointing performance for Zverev. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I think we all, uh, what surprised me going into the tournament when you, you get to the Australian Open, you're talking to all the various uh, you know media commentators and we had a few jumping on air with us and some had Alexander Zverev as their absolute out-and-out favourite and that, and that surprised me. I thought Medvedev, with no Djokovic, had to clearly start as the favourite. He's the one that's been there, won a slam, made more slam finals than uh, Zverev. I think we were encouraged by Zverev last year and that he looked like he'd ironed out uh, some of the the weaknesses but gee, he got himself into that rut against uh Shepovalov and Dennis played a, a great match it was out on, was it John Kane I think John Kane that one yeah but he just couldn't pick himself up could he he couldn't uh get the the just sort of snap out of um the the, the yeah you know, the lethargic nature in that match and get himself back on track that was the concern for me you know the, with the prestige of playing in a major
3: yeah absolutely and even a few nights before when he was playing John Millman on RLA I- I was out there watching and I didn't think he was especially moving that well. He wasn't hitting the ball that well. He, yep. As you mentioned, he actually looked a little bit lethargic in that game as well. Mm. And then heading off into that Shapovalov game, yep, just sort of gave nothing really, did he? Actually, Great. I was going to say,
1: Alex and I watched... Oh, you're back. I'm back. I, I swear, <laughs> that's never happened to me before. i never on air, <laughs> yes. especially. No, welcome back. Um, Alex and I watched all Zvera's matches together. That That match didn't surprise me because he didn't look good in the first round against Altmaier. Could have mm. lost that. Mm-hmm. Played, I think it was Albot and then Millman, three very similar players, probably the perfect first three matches for him, and didn't look convincing in any of them. So I think it was overall a really poor
2: summer, really poor for Zverev. And considering the way he ended last year, we would have thought he would have actually come in uh, cherry ripe. So, yeah, plenty to think about from the Zverev uh, camp point of view. So that's the situation there on the men's side. Just before we go to Rodney, Uh, We mentioned the huge rankings lift for Kokonakis and Kyrios. Matty Ebden up 24 spots to 31. He and Purcell had a a great tournament. Obviously, they played a lot more doubles, uh, guys, than uh, Kokonakis and uh, Kyrgios. Matty is the the veteran of that partnership, and Max is the the young pup, if you like. And I think we all like Max. We all like uh, people who are authentic who are prepared to speak their minds. Sometimes you're going to maybe say slightly the wrong thing or you're going to get yourself in a little bit of trouble. And one thing we're going to pick apart on the show next week is... uh, the story around wildcards and Max mm. had a bit to say. Um, we've we've got our own uh, finger on the pulse in that regard, and we'll v- reveal that over the next uh, week. Our look into the whole wild card uh, situation, which is a, a topic of um, hot debate at the
1: moment, it is. It's interesting. I was speaking to some of the international journalists about this, and they said it's not such a big sort of debate overseas, but in Australia, it sort of gets everyone riled up. The whole wild card situation. We're doing a lot of research at the back end. Um, Roddy Reynolds is putting together an amazing piece on that whole sort of
2: space. So stay tuned. Next week, we'll definitely revisit that. Indeed. Uh, Rodney's in Oyster Bay. Rodney, welcome.
6: Yeah, good day, guys. A um, couple of things. Uh, I, I, I'm not a gambler, but uh, before the tournament, I I picked um, Nadal and Medvedev to get to the final and Nadal to win and I told a number of people and they most of them pretty much laughed at me and everyone sort of said well you know Nadal's only won one at once but they, they forget how close he went against Federer how close he went against Djokovic back in 2012 when he was up 4-2 in the fifth set and and I actually think this is going to revitalise him I, I, he's, he's odds on to win the French and I reckon there's a good chance Good chance Wimbledon now as well. It, it could be the the Dahl slam this year.
2: Yeah, look, it's always been tough, though, for Raffa to back up from the French because he goes so hard in that clay court season. And this is why I think he's only won Wimbledon twice. Not that he can't play on grass, but he plays that full clay court season. And with a short turnaround of three weeks to Wimbledon, it's, it's never given him, I think, the ideal preparation. He never traditionally plays a lead-in to Wimbledon as well. Like I can't think of Rafa. Well, he probably has played a Queen's, but I can't think it would have been a long time ago. Um, but normally he'll just go straight in on the on the grass. Look, we hope so. I mean, I, look, I want the next generation to emerge, but I'm still enjoying seeing these guys personally. The elder statesman of the sport still just put the, uh, the young bucks at bay just to say, you'll have your time in the sun. I don't mind that. I don't mind the records uh, continuing to uh, stack up. Uh, plenty on the text coming through. We'll get to that as well. Uh, we'll get to more of your calls in just a tick. I just wanted to mention a couple of guys. Now, around wildcards, so the Australians, Jed and Alex, have the benefit, whether it's in singles or doubles. So, just as an example, uh, Dane Sweeney and Lee 2 got through to the third, third round. round of the men's doubles. So, Sweeney went up 291 spots to 275, and Lee 2 jumped up 649 spots to 330, <laughs> which is. Significant for both those guys who are now going to go and play the lower levels of the tour, but that's the leg up they get being in a Grand Slam nation that other players around the world wouldn't get. So I have a little issue, not nothing against those guys whatsoever, but if they were anywhere else, they would not get that leg up to get into an Australian Open. And good luck that they made the third round and got onto a bigger stage and could tell the world a bit about who they are because they're playing so far off Broadway most of the time. Anyway, I, we'll debate that over the next couple of weeks, but... It's uh, just an interesting one to ponder.
1: Definitely. I, I want to debate that, but I just want to add that it's interesting because there's some players who get these wild cards year on end, every year they get it, and they don't necessarily do much with it. Yep. For the ones who do do something with it, yes. like Chris O'Connell this year, yep. if they validate it, I don't mind it. But if they keep losing in the first round, I don't want to mention names, but I, I'm with you then.
2: I, I, think, I think there's a better way. There's a better way of uh, working out this system. Well, that's what we're exploring. And as you mentioned, Roddy Reynolds will uh, have a piece for us. We'll debate it on the show next week as to the process of how wild cards are being determined. Mm. John from Kensington. Johnny, I know when you come on the show, you want to talk about one man, and that is uh, Yannick yeah. Sinner. Yeah.
1: Yes.
5: Well, mate, look, I'll be really honest with you. I'm a big fan of Yannick Sinner, and I think he's going to be, do big things. Yeah. But, you know, he copped a who will never, ever – replicate the form that he showed against Sinner and I knew he would never back up that performance. He was just extraordinary that night and I reckon he would have beaten anyone the way he played against Sinner and, and he just didn't have a chance because everything that he went for just came off and then we saw it in the next game against Melbourne that we got blown away but, you know, up until that point, Yannick Sinner was playing extraordinary. You know, he lost one set a whole year, you know, and uh, and I just thought that you know, it was a great learning curve for him, but but I also want to say that yep. in the match last night, mm-hmm. I felt as though I love Rafa, I think he's an a all-time great champion, but I think it was more a game that he actually didn't win. I thought Medvedev threw it away You know, because I think in the first set he showed everyone how to play Rafa on a hard court and give it to his backhand all day so he can't run around it and he just had no answers and then you know, he just went away from that, and they tried all these stupid drop shots. And you know, he just and he kept drop shotting him, and it kept losing and losing. And in the end, he just invited Rafa back in, and we all yep. know what a champion yep. he is. Yep. You know, but I think up until that point, yes, I didn't think it would go even three. I thought it would go three sets, and that's it.
8: No, you know, but,
2: you're right, Johnny. And uh, we we sat there, uh, Mark Woodford and I, and once he'd come back. To win the breaker in the second, what was he uh, down four one or something of that yeah. nature? And you thought, okay, Rafa's is going to square things up here, and we th- we probably thought he'd broken the back of um uh, of Nadal. But look, I think it was it, it was yeah both parts. Yeah, Medvedev certainly didn't play at his absolute best and had you know the physical issues as the match uh, wore on. And yeah, the drop shot on a hard court, if you don't execute it to perfection, when he when he does execute it to perfection, it's beautiful. But if not uh you know, if you anticipate the ball sits up enough for you to come in and, and have that open court or go cross court uh, and allows you to win the point. But, yeah, I think he left the door a little ajar, uh, no doubt. Uh, maybe in that third set, didn't put the foot down like we would expect him to do. But uh, Nadal, uh, credit to him as well. He just kept playing point by point. And that's what Rafa does. You know, he's just an in-the-moment um yeah, you know, the resilience is incredible. So I think it was a, it was a combination of all that. Yannick Sinner, yeah, well, that was the best match Sitsi Place played for the whole tournament. I think we were surprised. We went in thinking, gee, we could get four sets uh, potentially here. Uh, but we know Sinner's coming. We know El Caraz is coming. These guys are going to be stars in the future. And sometimes you need a, a loss like that at a slam just to bring you back to earth a little bit that maybe you might be getting a little bit ahead of yourself and he'll uh, learn plenty of lessons. Absolutely. I just want to put a question forward to both of you. Yep. What surface is Yannick
1: Sinner going to achieve his success on? What, what's going to be the surface he dominates on? Because I can't, I can't quite work it out yet. And I, I love the way he plays. He's going to win, in my opinion, multiple slams. Mm. But where's he going to play his best tennis? Yeah,
2: good question. Good and I wanted
1: to ask John. We'll ask him next week because he'll no doubt call back. Mm. I just think it's an intriguing one because his game suits hardcore, but I reckon it'd yep. be unbelievable on grass. Yes, I feel like grass is where he's gonna he's gonna win a Wimbledon. I feel. But yep. then you look at him at the French and he can grind, and you think, well, hang on, he could he could sort of do well on clay as well. I can't work it
2: out. What do you reckon, Alex? I mean, he's got great coaching behind him. I mean, he's he's got the perfect team around yeah. him. Ricardo Piardi and uh, I've forgotten the other coach that's part of that camp that shares the duties. But yeah, they're they're developing a guy who's going to be good on all services. But yeah, it's hard to it's hard one to answer, Jed, right now, where he's going to make the breakthrough. But he's going to be certainly staying around. he's there. Absolutely. He's there to stay. How far he gets up the the towards the pointy end, because we know you sit at ten in the world, it's a fair golf, isn't it? I mean, that's what sort of Beratini Rublev mm. these guys are finding out. It's a tough jump. You're in the t- top ten, but to get up to the, the real point in in semi semifinals and finals and the level you've got to play at is just a, a whole other level. Good on you, John. Always appreciate your call from Kensington. Let's get a break in. On the other side, uh, we're going to welcome in Adrian Saluno, who's doing a great campaign called Game On Recycling. We'll tell you all about that. More of your texts. We'll keep going through the draws as well. The first serve on a Monday night here on SEN.
0: Better solar. Better batteries. Better energy. With B Solar, you'll never have to pay another expensive electricity bill. Talk with a B Solar advisor. Visit B.Solar to learn more. GLG Greenlight Group. Leaders in property services and open space management. At glgcorp.com. The First Serve. Your home of tennis.
2: Welcome back to The First Serve. Brett Phillips uh, tonight, of course, our dedicated tennis show right across uh, the SEN network uh, all the way through to November. So join us every Monday night out of 8 o'clock, a little special uh, two-hour edition. Follow our website, thefirstserve.com.au. Join us on our socials too, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can follow our YouTube uh, channel, engage with us for those of you that love uh, their tennis. Uh, a year without lines, people at most of the big tournaments. What a success off the text. So, like, I don't mind the clean court. I'm a big fan, so um, I think it's probably going to become more uh, prevalent uh, throughout uh, the various tournaments. As long as uh, Stefano Sitsipas' dad is up in the stands controlling his son, he will not win a slam. Yes, we could do a whole uh, segment on uh, Apostolos, who's been on this show, uh, going back three years ago when Stef uh, won the uh, ATP uh, finals. But, yeah, the whole issue of coaching, we'll pull that apart uh, over the next uh, few weeks. But I wanted to welcome into the show uh, tonight uh, Adrian Saluno, who is the Sustainability Project Manager for MS Sports, who can... Um, in combination with uh, Wilson, they uh, produced uh, Game On Recycling, which is huge in grassroots tennis uh, right around Australia. Adrian, it's uh, great to have you on the show. Thank you very much, BP. Alex, Jed, lovely to be on the show. Yeah, nice to uh, certainly have you on. Tell us a bit about uh, Game On uh, Recycling.
6: So, so effectively, Game On Recycling is uh, the brainchild of, of Wilson Sports and, and AMZRP, a recycling company uh, based down here in Melbourne. Uh, and it's funded by the, the federal government via the National Product Stewardship Investment Fund. Effectively, what we do is we collect and recycle tennis balls, rackets, uh, along with other types of sporting equipment, basketballs, soccer balls, even ski boots and skis, uh, and, and stop it going into, into landfill and, and try and, uh, you know, I guess score a point for planet Earth, really.
2: OK, so this is a, a real Australian first initiative, Adrian.
6: 100 percent yeah it's the uh, it's the first program to in australia to stop um sporting equipment getting into into landfill because unfortunately um, with the precision um, engineering that's required for all these sporting equipment uh it, it's not really environmentally friendly so, so you know like i said wilson is, is looking to change change the game and, and do something really positive for the environment. And, and this is what we've concocted.
2: So one thing that I've got to say jumped off the page uh, when I was reading uh, a couple of notes leading in. So you're currently looking at new technology and procedures to recycle the tennis balls into a new tennis court surface, which would be a world first.
6: Yes, yes. So um, the team down at ANZRP uh, have uh, been you know, busy trying to find uh, you know creative ways to use the recycled material and, and one way that looks very promising and, and hopefully we'll be able to deliver it is, is uh, a, a, basically a surface um, that you could play tennis on very much akin to I would say sort of a not, not so much an ontica probably more like a artificial grass but something really exciting and um, it would be amazing to, to get that circular uh, story um, from start to finish.
2: I'm uh, I'm fascinated to see uh, what uh, certainly comes of that, and you've got some great partnerships with a lot of the uh, state governing bodies around Australia.
6: Yeah, hundred percent. So you know we've we've worked really well with uh, tennis Victoria, tennis New South Wales, and, and tennis South Australia, and uh, they've especially tennis South Australia. They've even got a uh, a recycling uh, collection unit at uh, at the courts down there in Adelaide. So. Um, you know, they're really um, all three of these organizations and, and pretty much everyone else that we partner with all the way from Royal South Yarrow and Kuyong down to little clubs like Latrobe University and, and Wood End, Iandina, Park Tennis Club. There's a whole bunch across Australia, uh, over 75 that are, you know, looking to, to try and recycle, uh, you know, this tennis uh, equipment, especially tennis balls and, and, and really, you know, do, do something special for the environment.
2: Adrian, just a couple of numbers out of the men's final last night that you want to maybe take us through in terms of the amount of tennis balls that were used, uh, what that equates to, and and just on average uh, the amount of tennis balls that were used during the Australian Open, and and what actually happens to those tennis balls.
6: So, so in that men's final, which was an absolute epic, uh, you know, couldn't couldn't get your your eyes off it. Um, they used forty two tennis balls alone. So, you know, every time you see the balls changing over. Uh, that's uh, quite a few times in in that game, but it equates to 2.3 kilos of landfill. Now, uh, that's just one game of tennis in that that whole Australian Open. Now you can imagine across all the matches, uh, it it gets really, really big. So um, every Australian Open and pretty much every Grand Slam, there's over 50,000 tennis balls uh, used and that that equates to roughly 2.8 tons of landfill that if it wasn't for our program, um, there would be no way to, to recycle those balls and, and, and take them out of landfill, which is uh, what we're, we're looking to do.
2: Okay, brilliant stuff. And you're currently running a, a major giveaway as well?
6: Yes, yeah, so uh, we've, got, uh, we've linked up with, with Alex Demon. He's been fantastic. So there's a, yep. a great video on uh, on the, the Wilson page along with Game On Recycling page. Uh, and basically, you just have to guess uh, how many tennis balls, uh, which have been recycled from uh, Sydney Club. Uh, in the video that Alex uh, stars in. Uh the, the prize is a, it's a fantastic prize. It's uh, eight signed tennis balls from, you know, basically some of the, the sport's absolute great. Serena Williams, Roger Federer, Alex himself, uh, and even some of the, the young ones. Uh, it's the pass and uh, one of my personal favourites, Gail Monfils, as well, as part of that eight.
2: They had a very nice run, Gail. Gee, it's funny. We were sitting there last week, a lot of us thinking... How good would it be to see Gail fees win one major? And then uh, it all came to an end. But uh, good to see him having a little bit of a resurgence. So you've got uh, a lot of tennis clubs on board uh, right across Australia, over 120 clubs and organisations already registering their interest and in counting, which is fantastic.
6: Yeah, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. It's, um, it's so great to see you know, the grassroots of, of, of Australian tennis just get themselves really involved in the program and and you know jump at the opportunity to to try and make tennis more sustainable and and allow it to to go on for generations to come. It's, it's absolutely fantastic.
2: All right. So what we're going to do over the next uh, few weeks during the month of February, we've got some fantastic prizes from Wilson that we're going to be uh, giving away to our listeners. So stay tuned for that in partnership with uh, Game Recycling. So where do people head just to find out a little bit more, particularly those involved? Uh, at the coalface of tennis with clubs and uh, associations. Uh, Adrian? Yeah.
6: So the best place to go is www.gameonrecycling.com.au. You can also find us on socials, Instagram and Facebook. Um, and, it's yeah, check it out. If you're, if you're a part of a tennis club, go go on the website, show show your committee, show everyone around and um, try and make a, a change for good. And, and, like I said, score a point for Planet Earth.
2: Great stuff. Really appreciate your time uh, tonight. Let's uh, Let's chat again. Uh, fantastic, I'd love to. Adrian Saluno, Game on Recycling. It's a great program, uh, very much our show, connected with uh, grassroots tennis around Australia. We love the grassroots uh, community. We'll tackle many grass co- uh, sorry grassroots issues uh, that are going on uh, right throughout the year. Guys, just before we uh, break, let's have a look at the women. Gee, the three big notable rankings drop. So Saka, 71 spots down to yeah. 85. and 82 spots to 95. Uh, Jen Brady, of course, who didn't make it out here, dropping 82 spots to 110. Ash is, uh, well, she's just in the driver's seat, 2,633 points clear of uh, Arena Sabalenka. Uh, Krachikova, you would never have picked her to be the world number three and the world number two doubles player. She's going all right uh, from the uh, Czech Republic. And we saw, of course, Cornet jump up back to, uh, what, um, uh, 30 on the world, Anna Samova, uh, jumping up towards the top 40, uh, Kai Kanepi, the, Unbelievable. the ball basher from Estonia. 52 spots up to 63 and uh, Madison Keyes getting a lift. Uh, Azarenka back inside the top 20. Danielle Collins at 10 in the world. Never would have seen that quite coming.
1: It's amazing. I just want to quickly touch on Anissimo. BP, yep. what are your thoughts here? Working with Darren Cahill, who, in my opinion, is one of the best coaches in the world.
2: Well, she looks the part, doesn't she, uh, Alex Samova? I mean, she burst onto the scene, what, three years ago, played Barty in that semi of the French, had some issues with COVID, father passing away. Um, Yeah, went off the rails a little bit, but we saw that match against Osaka, which was quality ball striking, just trying to outdo each other. And she's tall in the court, got uh, great presence. And you add Darren as a little bit of uh, the cherry on top, just to fine tune her game even further. I think she's certainly going places.
3: Yeah, absolutely. She was touted as one to watch as a junior as well, and obviously had that little interruption, but she's still young, and especially with Darren in her corner, you know, you can only see her going north, I feel.
2: Yeah, one thing we were talking about last night is where are the rivalries going to come in women's tennis? And nothing's totally jumping off the page, apart from maybe a Coco Goff and Barty, potentially. I think we all want to see Barty and Osaka play more often, but... Whether we get to see that, we'll have to wait and see, but maybe Coco's the one that uh, is a little younger, uh, that can really come on to the scene and and have some great duels with uh, with Ash down the track, but I think that's what we probably need now. We're starting to develop some on the men's, aren't we, Alex, but on the women's, it's not as glaring.
3: No, no, you're right, BP, and obviously, yeah, Goff's definitely one to watch, went out a bit earlier than I think we probably all would have expected, but I think the upside's still huge for
2: her, and... Definitely another one to watch would be Paula Bedosa, I think, for the rest of the year. Yeah, we love uh, Bedosa. If you were just closing your eyes right and you just saw her from behind, you'd think, Maria Sharapova's back. (laughs) She's made a comeback to women's tennis. I mean, it's just a striking uh, resemblance. And just a quick one before we uh, break. We love game-changing moments. So one month can change a whole life for a doubles pairing who had never played together. Anna Danilina, who played a lot with uh, Roddy Nova on the ITFs last year. And uh, Beatrice Hadad-Meyer, who had a... A lot of Brazilian (laughs) uh, supporters in the crowd yesterday. So she jumps up 110 spots to 40. Danielita was already 53 in the world. So her ranking was quite solid. They come together and win nine out of 10 matches in January. And boy, oh boy, they took the top seeds right to the wire in that women's doubles final yesterday. Brilliant performance.
1: They did. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable to watch them all week. I mean, a team who have not played together before and unbelievable. But Krachika Vasiniakova, they are unbelievable to watch and
2: they had to fight every bit of the way yesterday
1: this was like not easy this was a difficult match so you know hats off to them
2: no doubt a quick break Tim Connolly who's been uh, of course he and Hume have been hosting the wheelchair events doing a beautiful job across uh, January and then we'll pull apart the rest of the draw including uh, Jason Kubler's run of the mixed doubles quarters the juniors as well that's next on the first (laughs) serve
0: better solar better batteries better energy with B Solar, you'll never have to pay another expensive electricity bill. Talk with a B Solar advisor. Visit Solar to learn more. GLG Greenlife Group. Leaders in property services and open space management. At glgcorp.com. The First Serve, your home of tennis.
2: Welcome back to The First Serve, magnificent to have your company on this uh, Monday night. You can join us every Monday night right throughout the year as we talk uh, the world of tennis. 043398 1116 on the text uh, We've had a lot of texts tonight. I'll try and get to as many as I can. If you want to give us a call, one 736 736 Boys, just before we go to Tim Connolly, shout out to Jason Kubler. And he's uh, run with Jamie Foulis to the uh, final of the mixed doubles. Ran into the both of them in the match call area afterwards. And uh, Jason, you'd be uh, not surprised. He's not one to uh, pick up his phone on the road across the air, but he said, I'll tell you what, I want to talk to you guys. In 2022. So give me a call and uh, I'll be on the program. He's a bit reluctant to do media interviews, but I think he handles himself uh, really well, Jason. And you know, we've seen a few Aussie pairings in the mixed doubles the last few yeah. years have a, have a run that you couldn't expect. Sharma and JP, I think, they made did. the final
1: a couple of years ago, Edden 2020. Ebden Stozer. Last year,
2: wasn't it? Could have been Last year, yeah. or the year before. Yeah. So yeah, experienced pair, Mladenovic and Dodik, who had already won mixed doubles and doubles titles before, so... Uh, That was a tough matchup, but a nice little injection of cash uh, for both Jamie and also uh, Jason to set them on their path uh, for 2022. Uh, Tim Connolly is with us from one of our great partners, uh, Hume Tennis and Community Centre. It's uh, the the mini Melbourne Park out at Craigie Burnett, hosted the the two big wheelchair events, the Victorian Open and the Melbourne uh, Wheelchair Open, heading into, of course, the Australian Open. Tim is with us, one of the great coaches as well. Evening, Tim.
8: VP, great to be with you and um, just congratulations to you and the team on bringing all the tennis action across all the different levels, you know, from, I guess, the ATP, WTA Challenger and, of course, the wheelchair tennis, which, you know, we're really appreciative that you've covered so passionately throughout the summer.
2: Yeah, that's what we uh, love to do, covering uh, tennis from uh, every angle. So you hosted uh, the two uh, big events and no doubt you got yourself down to Melbourne Park. In fact, uh we introduced your son as one of the ANZ tennis hotshots, kids. Uh, boy, oh boy, did he, did he lap that up, young uh, young Jonathan, out there on uh, on center court. Did a, a beautiful job. But to host those two big events is really significant for your uh, center, Tim.
8: Yep, yep. We can, I guess, we're so lucky to see you know all the players that were there at the at the AO. So there's you know eight eight in the wheelchair and the men and the women's and eight in the quads and we also have a, about another twenty five that plays, which is sort of you know your lead up events and. To see, you know, we, in in the quads, that ended up that Sam won, that you know Dylan won one week, and um, Niels Vink, who who Dylan just beat in the first round of the, of the quads, won another week. So, you know, just to see the competitiveness not only on the court, but then watch how hard they train, you know, on the back courts, um, yeah, is really inspirational. And so to, to see that on finals day, and everyone just in just really enjoy that match between Sam and Dylan was um, was yeah just just really pleasing for us. Really involved in the wheelchair space.
2: How'd you find dealing with Sam Schroeder? He sort of now becomes the face, doesn't he? With Dylan's retirement, being a bit younger, this guy's really going to be uh, sort of the, the pin-up, if you like, for, uh, for for quad tennis.
8: Yeah, look, you know, and and Niels Vink also, you know, so they're, they're two Dutch boys. And and for people who don't know wheelchair tennis, the Dutch are so strong. They've also got Didi de Groot, who's number one in women, and, and and she and she won the um, not only the Golden Slam, she also won the doubles um, last year. So I'm not sure what you call that when you when you add that as well, and so they've got the number one woman and and third woman in the world. Plus now that once Dylan's retired, the number one and two two men players in the world. So you know, and and these guys like you know, Neil's is, Neil is nineteen and and Sam's like twenty three. You know, just a little bit older, and um, they are taking it to another level. And I think that, that just is a compliment to Dylan for for how he's raised the level of wheelchair tennis. And I think like years ago when he he beat David Wagner. Was sort of like handing of the baton, and, and while I'm sure everyone would have loved Dylan to have won, and it was, you know, sitting in the crowd with everyone cheering for Dylan, um, you know, I think just handing over that baton to to, to Sam um, was probably the right time, and, and I think Dylan Dylan knew it was probably coming too.
2: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that would have been the fairy tale we would have loved to have seen, but uh, his legacy when they read out his name, when he. Appears somewhere. Gee, it's it's a nice little uh, bio that you read out for uh, Dylan Orcott and what he has uh, achieved. And what you see is what you get, isn't it, Tim? Uh, I and mean, he's been out to your centre. He embraces, um, you know, certainly everything outside of just you know being on the Grand Slam stage. He puts so much back into the community, and you you got to see that firsthand.
8: Yeah, look, you know, the the, the first week that he's there, and, and the second week when we have our second event, he's. Um, he's, you know, with Channel 9, but that, that first week, just even with the players as well, and, you know, Niels and Sam, and, you know, there's are such a, their own community themselves, you know, you, you've always got Heath, who's going to be the number one Australian now, um, and then you've got Andy Lathorn and David Wagner, who are the, the two older older men who actually, I'm not sure if you saw, you know, ended up winning the quad quad doubles, you know, and they, and they yes. beat Niels and Sam in, in the final, you know, like they're, yep. they, these guys are, are elite athletes and they, they train hard and um, it's just so inspirational, but obviously, Dylan has been the lead of, of and now it's, you know, hopefully a lot of people have t- had a taste of how good wheelchair tennis is and, and will enjoy, you know, being a part of it, you know, in many more years to come.
2: Indeed, Tim. Just before I let you go, a uh, big year coming up at Hume Tennis and Community Centre. We're going to get out there and do a special edition of the First Serve. Uh, uh, young Leanne Sinner. I had a hit with her just before uh, Christmas. What a young star! Is she taking <laughs> off? Uh, well, she yeah, I, I cleaned her up. And, uh, is she? Is she? Is she taking off uh, shortly, or is she, is she headed overseas? <coughs> Stop laughing. You know exactly what happened. Yeah.
8: No, I was there. Um, she she unfortunately she lost in the last round of qualities for the Aussie Open Juniors, which was, um, she was um and she was. Uh, second, second lucky loser, which we thought she might have been a chance to get in, knowing you know with all the COVID things. So we're just hoping maybe a um, a Djokovic moment might have happened or something, but it didn't. So she just missed out. So she's up in head up to Canberra now, where there's a couple of twenty five thousand yep. um, for the for the women. So that's sort of like the next step. So it's really it's really sort of yeah grinding your way through, as I'm sure the the boys know. But Brett, just before I go, look, I, I, I must make you know aware that for people in in wheelchair tennis, or if they know someone who wants to get into wheelchair tennis, that, that we do have wheelchair hubs right across Australia. So um, we we have one out at Hume, and but for those, you know, anywhere else that to contact your um, local association or tennis Victoria tennis in New South Wales, Queensland, etc., around Australia, just to find out where and yep. and hopefully, you know, it, it's such a great sport and it's such exactly. a community, and and for anyone who who wants to get into a sport and and really connect with other, you know. Like-minded people, I, I can't recommend it
2: enough. No, I totally agree, Tim. I've got a real appreciation for wheelchair tennis. Great to see it on Rod Laver Arena. You go across to uh, Wimbledon, they're 10 deep watching, you know, Gordon Reed is a star who's played at your venue, and he's a big uh, deal over there. So the more it can be put on the, the bigger courts, the bigger stages, the better, mate. Great to uh, always have a yep. chat to you. We'll be out to Hume uh, very soon. Look forward
8: to it. Keep working on that backhand. Your forehand's okay, your backhand
2: probably... Tim, no need to expose the weaknesses on live radio, my friend. Uh, Tim Connolly, uh, one of the greats, uh, manager of the Hume Tennis and Community Centre and uh, one of the fine coaches as well. Guys, just before we take a break, speaking of the young talent out there, the junior finals across the weekend, how about the, uh, the men's? Now, I had to step up and do the presentation. That is the first time I can ever remember where the finalist actually couldn't, come out to mm. receive his uh, plate. And uh, you should have seen the people scurrying around to <laughs> get all that sorted. Um, young uh, Jakub Mensik, who from the Czech Republic went off in the wheelchair against uh, uh, Bruno Kuzahara, a young boy who was born in Sao Paulo. I think he's got some Japanese heritage there, emigrated to Florida, uh, been living in the United States. He had the win. Uh, incredible. seven six six seven seven five. That was Extraordinary stuff on the weekend.
1: Yeah, this was definitely one of the probably actually, this was the best, you know, boys singles match I watched. I think it was definitely the best of the tournament. Uh, he's a talented, he won the doubles as well. He did. Um, yep. Gee, the Americans, they're producing some fine players. We obviously know Fritz, Opelka, Tiafo, and Paul, and then you've got the, the younger generation of Quarter and Nakashima, and yeah, it's a long and, production and, line. And Brooksby, they mm. are. They're producing some guns in the States. Jensen's
2: back this week too, having to miss the summer here with uh, COVID. Made a
1: semi at challenger level.
2: Yep. So I was just looking back at the winners, you know, Holgerun, Musetti winning in 219, Korda 18, our very own Alexey Poprin in 217, uh, Davidovich Fakina won in 217, Felix and Dennis, Tommy Paul, as you mentioned, uh, Gedo Pelka, Fritz, Rublev, Zverev, and Borna Chorich across the last decade have won the junior. So it's no guarantee that you make it to the pros, but he um, he looks a really, really good sort, uh, Kuzahara. And uh, the young girl, of course, on the women's side, who was the top seed, uh, Petra Marcinko, uh, from uh, Croatia, uh, won the women's. So uh, she looks a really, really good young talent. And just a very quick shout out to Charlotte
1: Kempinaz-Pokes on yes. the uh, girls' single side, making yeah. it through to the semi. She is a future star, BP.
2: And yeah, I watched her. Uh, I think the semi-final on the monitor in our booth on RLA, and she's got some presence about her. We had her on the show, I think, three years ago. So it's yeah. been great to see her no, development.
1: Keep track of her. She hits the ball. Just about as hard as any of the juniors out there. So just keep an eye on her
2: for this year. I like that. Let's take a final break. We'll come back, wrap up, and get to a few of your techs next here on the first serve.
0: Better solar, better batteries, better energy. With B Solar, you'll never have to pay another expensive electricity bill. Talk with a B Solar advisor. Visit B.Solar to learn more. GLG Green Group. Leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. The first serve, your home of tennis.
2: Our final segment for this Monday. Great to have your company here on SEM wherever you're listening. Thank you to all your techs. A lot of you paying compliments, so I don't necessarily want to self-indulge with those on air. But we really appreciate the feedback for the whole team, and this is a few we just haven't quite got time to get to tonight. But just a couple here. Storm Sanders, guys, where do you see her journey going uh, this season, Adam, who's a, a very keen tennis fan up there at uh, Tweed Heads. Look, I think we're liking Jed the progression of Storm, but still, it's that challenge of going from just outside the top 100 to getting in. It's, it's, it can be a bit of a graveyard area. It is the hardest
1: challenge on the tour. That is the jump. That is the jump, but Storm will do it this year. You can pencil that in, top 100 2022 for Storm Sanders. Alex,
2: Chris O'Connolly, strain in that match against Chrissy. How long is he expected to be out of action for? And Chrissy. How is that serving volley he's brought back to the uh, the spotlight? We love the game of Maxine, Chris. Anyone who's got a point of difference. But, yeah, Chris O'Connell, unfortunately, just gets the niggles you don't want him to. That just is another setback.
3: Yeah, he's really unlucky, Chris O'Connell. And and you can see the level of tennis he can produce, which is quite amazing at times. Uh, He'll only be out for a few weeks, I believe. So, two weeks. Okay.
2: Nice. That's good. Because he's had enough time on the sidelines. Chris O'Connell. We're back uh, this week. Uh, Cordoba, uh, Dominic Team back playing in Argentina. You'll be all over this Shorten. one Diego, of course, he's got to play at home in uh, Argentina. And we've got, uh, of course, the traditional indoors in Montpellier. Poprin. Poprin's playing uh, Krajinovic, the Serbian in the opening good round. Game. So Sasha Zverev and Bautista are good at the top two seeds there. Uh, can you quickly check, uh, did Mark Pune. Pune, uh, get
1: Polman's through in Quallies. lost in straight final round of Qualies. Okay, that
2: was in the last uh, couple of hours. Vukic is yes. Yes, in the main draw of uh, Pune over in uh, India. Andrew Harris lost first round Qualies.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine it'll take him a little bit of time just yep. to find his form, been out for so long with that uh, after hip yep. surgery.
2: Luke Seville, JP, Polmans and replaying playing in the doubles there. Uh, Cleveland as well. Rinky hid Jakarta in the final round of qualies coming up uh, overnight. Good young kid who we hope is really going to kick on in uh, 2022. Boys, there you go. Two hours done and dusted. Thank you. Your work's been outstanding. Thank you for having me. Across uh, the last uh, few weeks, the month of January, really. Follow us on our website, thefirstserve.com.au. All our socials. um, We're covering tennis inside out. We'll give the boys a few days off, though, because uh, it's been an arduous uh, month. We need to recharge. Thank you to everyone who's texted in, all your calls. Thank you to Sammy and DMG at the back for looking after us. And we'll be back uh, 8 o'clock next Monday and the Monday after that and the Monday after that. You'll be sick of us all the way through to November. Have a great (laughs) night, everyone.